Pad Paramhamsa Parivraja Charja Astotara Shada Shish Madesi Bhaktivanta Swami Shrupad Ki All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. To the assembled devotees. All glories to Shishi Guru and all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timandasya Janajana Shvakaya Chakshulamitam Jainata Smaish Guru Vainamaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapi Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Sri Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who is established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha Kalpa Yasha Kripasanubiavicha Patitanam Pavanebio Vaishnavebio Namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. 
They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Ananda Shri Advaita Gadadha Shivatadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Srivas Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Guru, they've used me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, February 1st, 2022, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 13, Dhritarashtra Quits Home, Text 34. Agnir Nishto Datascha Garodarascha Dushita Ritam Shetram Danam Yesham Daddataya Subhi Kiat Agni Fire Nishrita, set. Tata, given. Cha, and. Gara, poison. Dara, married wife. Cha, and. Dushita, insulted. Ritam, usurped. Shetram, kingdom. Danam, Wealth, Yesham, of those, that, there, that I, given by, Ashubi, subsisting, Kiyat, is unnecessary. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. There is no need to live a degraded life and subsist on the charity of those whom you tried to kill by arson and poisoning. You also insulted their married wife and usurped their kingdom and wealth. Purport. The system of Varnashram religion sets aside a part of one's life completely for the purpose of self-realization and attainment of salvation in the human form of life. That is a routine division of life, but persons like Dhritarashtra even at their weary, ripened age, want to stay home, even in a degraded condition of accepting charity from enemies. Vidura wanted to point this out and impressed upon him that it was better to die like his sons than accept such humiliating charity. Five thousand years ago, there was one Dhritarashtra, but at the present moment, there are Dhritarashtras in every home. Politicians especially do not retire from political activities unless they are dragged by the cruel hand of faith I mean, by the cruel hand of death, or killed by some opposing element. 
To stick to family life to the end of one's human life is the grossest type of degradation. And there's an absolute need for the Viduras to educate such Dhritarashtras, even at the present moment. So we're in the middle of a chapter, um, in the midst of a chapter where Vidura is, um, is, is talking to Dhritarashtra and he's pointing out the reasons why it's necessary for him to retire and um, leave his home and maybe, you know, travel, become a mendicant, become a vanaprastha. Basically, he's telling him it's important to retire. And so that, and then Prabhupada in the purport talks about how in this day and age, a lot of people are very reluctant to retire. I, I know, like, a lot of doctors, you know, uh, older doctors that are physically able to. But as long as they're able to, they were going to do it. It doesn't matter how old they are. This started me thinking, why don't people want to retire? Like, I want to retire as early as possible. But why is it that some people don't want to retire? Can you think of any reasons why people don't want to retire? Right, there's this feeling of being bored if you retire. What are you going to do? You, um, there's along with that, there's this belief that death comes soon after retirement because there's nothing to do. And we actually see that to be the case where soon after somebody retires, their health declines immensely, and then they pass away. Another reason people don't retire is financial obligations. Right, they they can't afford to retire yet. They don't have enough money to sustain a retirement. So this idea of being bored or, you know, that sometimes if you're not doing anything, death can come soon after is actually confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 3, uh, chapter 3, text 5. Krishna says, everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities acquired from modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. That's our nature of who we are is that we have to be acting. We have to be doing something. And, you know, when we're working, it feels like we're doing something that's worthwhile, whether it's working to get money to feed our family or if we're doing something that we're very um, passionate about, that we feel strongly about. However, there's also this counter-movement movement where, yes, we have people, doctors that are like, I'm going to, practice until I die. I'm going to keep seeing patients until I die. We also have this whole movement of people that actually want to retire early. It's called the FIRE movement. F-I-R-E, financial independence, retire early. Um, And so this is a goal for a lot of patients, a lot of people, especially a lot of colleagues that I know, physicians that I know, that are similar in the position I am, that we're fed up with the current system of healthcare. Um, fed up with the current way that we're practicing medicine. So they look at how do we become financially independent so that we can retire early. And people that are seeking fire goals, they're not looking to sit at home and do nothing. What they're seeking is freedom 
right? So the whole thing is financial independence. If you don't have to worry about where the money is coming from, you're then free to pursue those activities that you feel passionate about, that you feel strongly about. Um, not that they want to sit at home and do nothing. But in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, uh, not by merely abstaining from work can one achieve freedom from reaction, nor by renunciation alone can one attain perfection. So this idea of retiring early um, but not wanting to do so to just sit at home is confirmed by Krishna because it's not just about abstaining from work. It's about um, it's about finding something to do that's worthwhile. And I know that's a big goal for me is to um, find that financial independence so that I can continue to pursue the things that I feel are very important to me, which is you know, helping people um, develop healthy lifestyles and healthy habits to bring them to like the mode of goodness and from there to the transcendental mode. Um, but this gives me a more of a sense of purpose than it is just work, right? Just work for finances. And sometimes when you're working towards a sense of purpose, it doesn't necessarily pay very well. So you want to find a way to, to, to have that financial independence as well as that sense of purpose. But the key here is having purpose, having a sense of purpose. It's really important. When people retire... They need um, a purpose other than fulfilling financial obligations. A lot of times when people retire um, at the age of 65 or even 70, they do so because they're financially now independent at that late age in life. Um, so they don't have to worry about where the money is coming in from, but now they have to worry about what, how are they going to fill their time. And it's not the fact that they're not doing anything that, they feel bored or that death comes soon after. It's the lack of purpose. Studies show that when we have a sense of purpose or live what we feel is a meaningful life, we live healthier. We have better quality of life. Our, um, we feel like we, we are making, taking advantage of every moment because we're living it to the fullest. And this is because we know three things. We know who we are where we're from, and what is my purpose? So these are the three main questions of life that we want to answer. Who am I? Where did I come from? And what is the purpose of my existence? So that third one is what we're looking at today. What is my purpose of my existence? We'll talk a little bit about the first one, who am I, in a, um, in a little bit here. So it's important to have a sense of purpose. When you have a sense of purpose... It helps you stay focused on what matters the most and avoid distractions. So when you know that you're working towards um, a certain goal, It gives you clarity. It gives your life clarity. 
you know, you can become unstoppable and you stop wasting time doing futile things. You have a sense of gratification, like you're making a bigger impact on the world, on your and on people around you. So when you have that sense of purpose, you feel connected, you feel tapped into the world because you're serving others. Um, it gives you a sense of value. So you start to live a value-based life. And values really are just like rules or guidelines that we live our life by. So when we have values, we have something to stick to, something to give us even more like purpose. So it kind of cycles within each other, right? When you have values, you have a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of purpose, your values become even stronger. Um, It helps you to live with integrity, to be your true, authentic self and have a core sense, a core set of core values that you live by. You, like I mentioned before, you tend to feel connected, not just to the world, but to something higher. You feel connected to everyone around you. You tend to feel more love and compassion when you feel connected. Um... You also have more love and compassion for yourself because you see yourself as being your higher purpose. Like you're given this purpose, so you understand that there's going to be difficulties and that there are going to be challenges. Um, you find the flow in life. You see everything as related, right? You're able to challenge yourself and to overcome fears. It also, with this one, when we have a sense of purpose, we also feel like our life has meaning, but we also see meaning in everything in our lives. So when something challenging or difficult happens to us, we see the meaning in that. We see we can even rise and find purpose in that. And we say that a lot of times when people have gone through something traumatic and they've recovered from that and now they're telling people or educating people how to um, rise above a similar situation that other people may be feeling. For instance, um, one of the mentors that I look up to far away, like I don't know her personally, she's a um, transformational speaker, a little bit more than motivational. She actually gives you the tools to help transform your life. And she came from a background where, you know, she's really poor and her husband her ex-husband used to abuse her um, to the point that she's ended up in the emergency room a few times, brink of death. And when she came out of that situation and started to um, find her strength and her own self-worth from that is when she started talking to people. So from that tragedy and trauma in her life, she's found purpose, right? So a lot of times there's a saying of... Um, um, Making, finding a message from your mess, right, from the trauma and the difficulties that you have in your life, you find a message that you can give. And when people have a sense of purpose, they're more able to do that, to find that message in their challenges and their mess. In their mess. So they make purpose out of their pain. And then when we are living from our purpose, it makes life more fun. We look forward to each moment, to each... Um, day because we know that we're doing something that's fulfilling, 
So we have this sense of joy from within for from making such an impact. We also find that people that live a purpose-driven life have very strong relationships. a role model. So it's not that they're seeking to become a role model, but in living a purpose-driven life, they they become a role model. And they tend to stay away from destructive habits and seek out good ones. So when you're looking at living your purpose, you start to develop habits that help you to live your purpose. And you tend to start to drop habits that can detract from your purpose. And, you know, I always bring up my for me that I can't do just a little bit. So it's either all or nothing, right? So in such, um, when I know that there's a purpose and I'm feeling driven to, to really make that impact, then I do tend to, you know, turn off the TV or cover it up and try not to get distracted by TV. So when we think of purpose, when people are thinking of their sense of purpose, what they're really seeking is a sense of freedom and a sense of happiness. And Krishna confirms this in the Bhagavad Gita 10, 4, and 5. You know, it's a really long verse, but one of the qualities he says that people are seeking is freedom from doubt and delusion. And then in Bhagavad Gita 13:9, another really long um, verse Describing qualities, it says freedom from birth, death, old age, and disease. So when we talk about freedom, um, you know, we think of, oh, freedom that nobody can control us, that we're free to do what we want. But we're always under the control of either the material world, material nature, or the spiritual nature. And when we're really seeking true freedom, we want true freedom from material nature and to become under the control of spiritual nature. And we can do that when we become free from birth, death, old age, and disease. Krishna also says in Bhagavad Gita 5.21, a liberated person is not attracted to material sense pleasure, but is always in trance, enjoying the pleasure within. In this way, the self-realized person enjoys unlimited happiness, for they concentrate on the supreme. And then in 6.28, he says, Thus the self-controlled yogi, constantly engaged in yoga practice, becomes free from all material contamination and achieves the highest stage of perfect happiness and transcendental loving service to the Lord. So if the true purpose in our lives is to seek freedom and happiness, then there is no higher happiness than that which comes from internal joy that we feel within when we are re- personality of Godhead to Krishna. Krishna confirms this, you know, with these two verses I just read, that the highest stage of perfect happiness, right, that's what we want is perfect happiness. Perfect happiness means there's no distress. In the material world, we always have happiness with distress because 
we have the dual nature of the material world. So we can't have pleasure without pain, which is why we need to have pain sometimes in order to live purpose. Right? For me, it was that um, working in the medical field as a physician, um, I really became so burnt out with the way that medicine is practiced, you know, not able to really make a difference, working long hours, um, having to spend more time doing paperwork, and it really didn't feel like what I got into medicine for. And, you know, like with that, I was no longer able to spend time with my friends and family because I was working long hours, getting there at like, ten, getting home at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, barely having time to chant, barely having time to really take care of myself, right? And so I was really feeling lost in that moment. And I knew that something had to change. And because I had worked really hard to, to pay off my med school loans and because I'd put in some, you know, other means of financial gain, I was able to quit you know, practicing medicine. And now I look at how do I help other professionals that are in that same spot that feel like they have no hope to have some, you know, how do you help them find joy? How do you help them also find that sense of hope and start to take charge of themselves and get in touch with their higher self. You know, for me, for someone who's been chanting for um, 20 plus years, I'm trying to think, I can't do math, 22 years, 23 years, I've been chanting 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And still, you know, I was dealing with stress, dealing with this sense of despair, hopelessness, because it was like I almost didn't have time to chant or to really do the things that I know that I wanted to do, right? I had the sense of purpose, but I'm in a situation where I'm not able to live my sense of purpose. So it was really affecting my mood. It was starting to affect my physical health, um, definitely affecting my emotional and mental health. So I knew for me the best option was to quit and now it's like I'm helping others to find that best option for them, right? So it's like from that pain, I've found my sense of purpose. So what is our purpose? You know, we want to attain transcendental happiness, which is eternal. Right? We already said there's no this perfect happiness, there's no duality, there's no pleasure and pain, it's all pleasure. It's also eternal. You know, whenever we have happiness here, it's temporary. Whenever we have distress, it's temporary. This too shall pass. So first we have to learn who we are. You know, we have to realize that we are not this body, that we are born in this body. You know, we're living our experiences through this body, but this body is just a character that we're playing. You know, like Shakespeare, all the world's a stage, right? So we're just characters, you know, in our in this particular body's story that has um, extras in it. You know, in this story that we have, we have uh, antagonists and protagonists, and, you know, so we have our own here going through. Um, and in a hero's journey, there's always challenges, and there's always this moment of realization and epiphany. So we want to come to that moment of realization and epiphany of who we really are. And who we really are is eternal beings filled with bliss and knowledge. 
So we're eternally blissful, we're eternally knowledgeable, and we're eternal. We're also servants of Krishna. So it's not just that we're these eternal beings with no purpose. We are serving Krishna. And that is our purpose. So when we realize that we are servants of Krishna, and we are striving to deepen our relationship with Krishna, part of deepening our relationship with Krishna is teaching others who we are, right? Helping spread this knowledge of Krishna consciousness and helping other people deepen their relationship with Krishna. Srila Prabhupada says, that is the mission of all genuine devotees of the Lord, following the footsteps of that great sage. He's referring to um, Lord Chaitanya. Srila Prabhupada has also said, preaching is the essence. And he's emphasized the importance of preaching many, many times, calling it our main activity. He says it's the most important business, and it comes first. He's quoted as saying, I want everyone to become first-class preachers. And indeed, in um, Bhagavad Gita 1868 and 1869, Krishna says, For one who explains the supreme secret to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed. And at the end, they will come back to me. There is no servant in this world more dear to me than them, nor will there ever be one more dear. So Krishna is confirming that when we explain to others who Krishna is, who we are in relationship to Krishna, there is no higher form of devotional service. And people that do that are very dear to Krishna most dear to Krishna. So, in addition to empowering other people to learn who they are, we actually learn more ourselves. It it becomes the highest way of learning how to do something. Sharing knowledge gives us a better understanding of the philosophy. You know, for me to prepare for a class... I have to actually study and look up things, you know, like, oh, what does this mean? So then I learn even more in order to teach. And then sometimes when you're teaching, um, the way somebody accepts or receives that information, you know, sometimes they'll say something or ask a question, and that makes it even, um, it helps to even delve deeper into our own understanding. So then we get a different realization or a different understanding of what we're teaching. So in medical school, we had this, and even residency, we had this saying of do one, teach one. What that means is that we see a procedure. That's the first way of learning it. Then we do it. And that's the second way of learning it. But we know we've mastered it when we're able to teach it. So we, you know, that's exactly what we want to do is we want to be able to learn and then teach Whenever I attend any kind of um, this teaching is really important. And indeed, if we read Chaitanya Charitamrita, 
Adi Lila chapter 9, Lord Chaitanya describes the desire tree of devotional service. And he agrees to tend this desire tree with the goal of filling the whole universe with the love of Godhead. So this tree has grown massive with many branches and sub-branches. And the fruit of this tree is devotional service. Lord Chaitanya says, the fruit ripened and became sweet and nectarian. Or actually it's said in the Adalila. Um, the gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed them without asking any price. Not considering who asked for what for it or who did not, nor who was fit or who unfit to receive it, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu distributed the fruit of devotional service. The transcendental gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed handful after handful of fruit in all directions. And when the poor, hungry people ate the fruit, the gardener smiled with pleasure. So here it's saying that when we have this knowledge of Krishna consciousness, we want to freely give it to anyone who's willing to accept it without judgment, without saying, oh, this person won't listen. They're, you can see that they don't have that kind of mindset. You just offer it to anyone, and whoever's willing will take take up it, you know, take up the mantle, right? They'll say, oh, yeah, teach me more. If they're not willing, they're not going to ask questions. You can't push them to be willing. So we want to make sure that we're not discriminating. We're not making this kind of judgment. However, we're also we also want to make sure that we're not disturbing people that don't want this information. I, um, I didn't write it here, but in the Bhagavad Gita, it says it's, that we want to be sure that we're not disturbing the peace in the mind of those that are not ready for this information. So the only way we can know that is to broadcast it kind of in a wide net. And whoever, you know, becomes curious, then we give them the information. And for everyone else, we hope that we're planting seeds that at some point will sprout and grow in the future. So it continues, and actually now Lord Chaitanya is speaking. He says, I'm the only gardener. How many places can I go? How many fruits can I pick and distribute? It would certainly be a very laborious task to pick the fruits and distribute them alone, and still I suspect that some would receive them and others would not. Therefore, I order every person within this universe to accept this Krishna consciousness movement and distribute it everywhere. I am the only gardener. If I do not distribute these fruits, what shall I do with them? How many fruits can I alone eat? Distribute this Krishna consciousness movement all over the world. Let people eat these fruits and ultimately become free from old age and death. One who has taken birth as a human being should make their life successful and work for the benefit of all other people. It is the duty of every living being to perform welfare activities for the benefit of others that their life, wealth, with their life, wealth, intelligence, and words. By one's work, thoughts, and words, an intelligent person must perform actions them find a sense of purpose of spreading this Krishna consciousness. So we as followers of Lord Chaitanya and also followers of Srila Prabhupada, 
are duty-bound to share this message of, of Krishna consciousness. And we want to realize that first and foremost, method of preaching is practicing. Right? We ourselves want to practice being Krishna conscious. You know, we want to develop and deepen our relationship to Krishna. But we also know that in order to um, experience and develop our love for Krishna, we have to spread it. So it's kind of both. We can't really do one without the other. We have to make sure that we're practicing ourselves. And then we also have to realize that we have our own nature. We have who we are, and we can use that in service of spreading Krishna consciousness. So it's not that we have to give up and only spread Krishna consciousness in one way, right? For instance, one way to spread Krishna consciousness is to go out and distribute books to strangers, you know, Prabhupada's books, which talk about Krishna consciousness. Um, Another way is when I had my own practice, I used to have the books in the lobby, in the waiting rooms, um, so that people can pick them up and peruse them. That's another way of doing it, using who I am. You know, someone who is a singer or a musician may play really nice music and compose verses that glorify Krishna. You know, like we saw with George Harrison. He wrote some really beautiful songs that really are about God and God consciousness. Um, so there's many ways. You know, for artists, you know, we can paint. Um, different depictions of Krishna and his pastimes and of the devotees. So we can use our skills and talents in whatever way that we've been given to spread Krishna consciousness. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard Rasatha Swami say a lot, and he says that it's actually Tamal Krishna Goswami, my spiritual master, who says it. Um, and he says, be who you are, but be that for Krishna. This is really important that we are authentic to who our who we are, who our skills and talents lead us to be. And we use that for Krishna consciousness. Not that we have to change and become a certain person. We're all unique individuals, and we want to honor that uniqueness by connecting to Krishna and helping others to connect to Krishna in our capacity. All right, so I will stop here. If there are any questions, yes. Let me get my little notes here. And thank you very much for being with us this morning. My pleasure. I always like to hear your class. You give me some realizations here. I was um, studying with a local devotee, Shalakram Prabhu, and I have, um, he was doing the eco village thing. I don't know if I recall the, the information exact, but he, he presented us to, um, we were outside of town, we were doing self-sustaining eco-village that if you did that properly, you spend six hours a day doing what's called work. And, and the rest of the day is freed up for all the different activities. So that would lead me to um, another realization that the uh, one's work is actually to support your spiritual practice and not vice versa.
work six hours a day, and then we do our spiritual practice and do all these things. If you want to touch on that, I, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm Um, I've heard a few times that, you know, we're not supposed to live in the cities. We live in um, rural areas, and I don't, I don't know if I've come across that passage myself. But what I would say is that, again, we have to be true to our own nature and what, what we are capable of doing um, and not falsely renunciate or falsely, you know, push ourselves to, yeah, we want to push ourselves a little bit, but we don't want to push ourselves so much that we, you know, spring back, right, like a rubber band. So I know for me personally, like, I love living in the city, and every time I go out, you know, in the country, I remember uh, last fall I went east Texas where, like, it was a half a mile before you come up to another house or something. And the quiet, like, it really got to me, you know. Like, I was like, I couldn't sleep because it was so quiet. So I almost needed the noises that we have here in East Dallas, like the cars driving by and the gunshots and, you know, it's it's what I'm used to. Not that I couldn't acclimate at some point, but it's what I'm used to. So in some senses, it's like for me to live out in the country, I would have to endeavor a little harder. I have to use a little bit more energy just to acclimate in that environment. And in my current situation, I'd rather use that energy for for serving Krishna directly rather than just trying to get myself situated, right? For someone else, living out in the country like that is, it's so along with their nature that living in the city becomes something that they have to acclimate to and use extra energy to tolerate the noises at night and, you know, the crowdedness. Um, so it it really just depends on who you are. But as long as we are doing activities that are on the path of Krishna consciousness, I don't think it matters where we live. um, I think last week I quoted, I remember reading or paraphrased that Prabhupada said that wherever we are practicing Krishna consciousness, that becomes a holy place of pilgrimage. That becomes a holy place. It doesn't matter if it's in the city or if it's in the country. He also said that the people are in the city. And if we are looking to spread Krishna consciousness, we want to be where the people are. Right? They're not, yeah, there are some people in the country, but they're so far apart that it's hard, harder to get, like, you know, a place where people gather. If, you, if you're someone that goes out on Sankirtan for books, where are you going to go in the city? Are you, you know, like, walk door to door or in... You may probably drive door to door, so you have to, like, because their houses are so far apart sometimes. Um, there's no place that people gather, right? We can go, we don't even have to go to downtown. You can just go to the street corner and you can see people, like, coming and going and be able to, you know, do kirtan and have people here, you know, in mass, like, in that way, whereas out in the country, you can't do that. There's no place to do that, not that you're not physically able. You can. All the other living entities can hear. Like when I was out there, um, I guess there's lots of branches, so there's this, like this big field where lots of cows were congregating. So, you know, I would go there and chant my rounds so that they could hear the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. 
but really there's no humans and uh, humans are the ones that are able to make this intelligent um, decision of following Krishna consciousness. Whereas when we're in an animal body, we are just living out the reactions and actions from previous lives. What other questions do you have? Seems like we have a Christian says. Well, one thing he says is what you just said that everything we we should live in our lives in such a way that what we do helps us become Christian conscious. Um, also said there's no material impediments. You might have heard that verse. In the process yes. devotional service. It's transcendental and. Your world can stop you from being Christian conscious, which we we like to hear that because it's encouraging. At the same time, we experience that um, for a lot of people, it's it's just a lot of we have a lot of hard work to do, you know. Especially, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have really high-paying jobs, uh, even if they. Re- this country, even if you retire and you draw your social, okay, you're sixty something years old, so you can draw your social security, but then it's not anything near enough to to even rent a place to live, but to speak of being able to live off of your retirement. You can't even pay, like, even have a one bedroom apartment with what social security gives nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, and then. You know, like here in India, I mean, here Indians are always well. Have their doctors, degrees, or engineers. But if we go to India, we notice that there's not every Indian's really rich. Some of them have to struggle. Like in Mayapur, there's these people who do the construction. They have to carry bricks. They they have to start at you know seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning. Go all day long. So, when somebody has to work so hard, even after retirement, they have to continue to work. How can they become have spiritual life? You know, where's the where's the time for like going to the morning program and chanting rounds? You know, how, isn't it? It seems like is there sort of like a Depends on your karma, you know, if you can be financially independent and so you have time for Krishna consciousness. As Krishna says, if you perform devotional service, you may take birth in your next life in a wealthy family so that there's time for spiritual life. Or is it, is it available for everybody? Everybody can become Krishna conscious. They just have to want to practice. Or is, is it that you situation can make it so that whether you can be a devotee or not. So you brought up some great points. Um, first, I want to address the there are no material impediments to spiritual life. I would say the caveat to that is that the only material impediment to spiritual life is our own mind. And so because the mind is material, right? it's Part of the senses, it's not really part of who we really are. 
Um, so it can actually be a hindrance in our spiritual life. And it can make any difficulty seem even more difficult. And anytime we're on this process of Krishna consciousness, we're tested. Our resolve to become Krishna consciousness gets tested. And that's when we have to have that mindset of it doesn't matter what's going to happen, that I'm dedicating my life to Krishna, come what may. Right? So that would be in response to the material impediments, which then leads to Krishna consciousness is for everybody. However, not everyone will take up Krishna consciousness. So there has to be something internal that snaps, I guess, so to speak, where people will be like, wait, there's something, there's got to be something more than this. And we'll have to seek out something more than this. And in order to do that, you're right, some of our, you know, Basic needs have to be met. And I've discussed this in a previous class where we talked about, where I talked more in depth about the Maslow's needs, hierarchy of needs that need to be met in order for us to even pursue spiritual activities. But sometimes there are people that are, that are um, already there despite their poor conditions. And there's also this idea of like if you, Talk to someone who is working hard, like in India, you know, they're a construction worker and they're working super hard. Um, but they get home and they'll either, you know, play, they have as much fun, you know, having, you know, whatever they have, they'll, they'll make do. Poor in South Africa. And, you know, he grew up in early part of his life was part of apartheid and him being mixed race, you know, he's kind of like illegal because there were no supposed to be mixing of the races. So he was born really poor conditions and he's joking about how, you know, playing with that, that you can't tell me I didn't have toys and I didn't have fun because he didn't know any better. And he actually jokes around that, like, they used to play these games with bricks, like that things would be under construction. So they would go and play with bricks and it would be like this game where you would broke, the person who didn't break, they would win, right? And so he was saying that now, like, as a rich comedian in New York, you know, every time he sees bricks, he wants to pick them up and play because that's what he grew up with. That's what he knew. So a lot of times when people are in that kind of poverty situation and they don't see anything beyond that, they acclimate. They know that this is, I mean, they don't know that there's anything more materially. Sometimes they don't have this realization that there's more to be had materially have on some level. Sometimes where the problem comes sometimes is when people are unsatisfied and they look over, um, you know, they hanker for the mansion that they see on the hill instead of appreciating 
the hut that they have and not seeing that there are people that don't even have a hut. Right? So there's always like levels of poverty. Um, and it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, in that situation, just, you know, realize that we're not this body and that what's happening, this pain and suffering that you're feeling is happening to the body and not to who you are because I'm not in that situation. So it's hard for me to relate to that. But it, when someone has been through that situation, Of people of all levels. We also see that here in the U.S. when people are in poverty, it doesn't matter how much poverty they are in, they still have very strong faith in Jesus and they still make time to go to church. Um, now their understanding, you know, maybe at a different level or their engagement might be at a different level, but we see that faith a lot of times will carry them through live their day-to-day despite their, you know, impoverished situation. So it's just a matter of each person, they're willing to do and not do and what their, what their mindset is in the moment. I hope that answers the question. All right, then I will end here.